If you're not confident in the authority of the Scriptures, you'll be susceptible to what currently sounds or feels right. If you're not confident in the authority of the Scriptures, then you'll be susceptible to what currently feels right or sounds like. Having that being said, our confidence is going to be in the Word of God. And here's what Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2 says. Lord, before all generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. Think about this. Lord, through all the generations, you've been our home. He's always been. Nothing is confusing to him. He's not wringing his hands in this present season. Even before the mountains were born, before you even gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. Notice this. This is present tense. You are God. So in those times when we don't feel him, we're not sure what's going on around us, that doesn't change the presence of God and the power of God and his availability to us. So with that, our focal passage uh, for our prayer time this entire week is going to be found in Isaiah 41.10. And here's what it says from the authority of God's Word. Don't be afraid, because I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. And what I love so much about that is that's the first person singular pronoun that's being used. God's not distant from us at all. He says, when you're afraid, you don't need to be because I am with you. And don't be discouraged because I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. He doesn't pass it off to somebody else. He says, I will hold you with my victorious right hand. Let's put our hope and trust in God. Father, we give thanks that you are God and that nothing that we would ever uh, come across could change the fact that you are the creator of all and that you've said you'll be with us, you will encourage us, you will strengthen us, you will hold us in difficult times. So, Father, in this unusual season, God, I pray for breakthrough. I pray uh, for the uh, medical community. Give them insight. Give them wisdom. Father, I pray that there would be uh, a breakthrough in terms of the COVID, COVID virus. God, for those people who are doing research, would you strengthen them? Would you give them uh, uh, sustainability in the work that they do? And, and we pray for a breakthrough. God, I pray that there would be healing. Father, I pray that you would encourage those uh, who are discouraged. And Father, I pray for those who are making decisions. I pray for our president. I pray for our government officials. God, I pray that there would be uh, wisdom that would be found and that you would provide that and that we would say yes to you. And Father, even greater than this present season, would you cause a breakthrough among the world? God, I pray that there would be a, a movement of God unlike we've ever seen before. Father, would there be a breakthrough where people would put their hope and trust in you? Thank you that you're with us and you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, thank you that you have promised that you'll be with us, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that when we go through difficult times, your presence is with us. And so we put our hope and trust in you as the Messiah, the one who came to 
uh, be our salvation. May our hope, every bit of our hope, be in you and you alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be together as a church. And uh, in particular, as we have our prayer uh, verse, Isaiah 41.10, that we shared uh, just a little bit earlier, if you would like for our prayer team to pray that particular verse, do not be afraid, I'm with you, do not be discouraged, for I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. If you want that verse to be prayed over you in your present situation, uh, you can just get online to New Cup, uh, office at newcupchurch.org, office at newcupchurch.org, and be our privilege to be able to pray that verse. So the question that we want to look at today is how do we prepare ourselves, not just for Good Friday, but how do we prepare ourselves for Easter, given all that is going on around us? And I am so excited to be able to share a couple of passages with you that I think will be a breakthrough for all of us. So uh, assuming you have Bibles, I need you to look at two different passages. One is Matthew 16. I'll give you a minute, a minute to find that. Matthew 16, and then uh, Romans 3, and I'll take you into a couple of uh, verses there as well. So Matthew 16, and then uh, Romans chapter 3. In Matthew 16, in verse 21, there's an interesting phrase that says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. Think about this. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. In Luke 9, 51, it says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely. In Luke 13, 22, as he made his way to Jerusalem, and then you hear more about it. In Luke 9, he was headed for Jerusalem. In fact, in verse 53 of Luke 9, it says, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Any number of reasons they wanted him to stay, they wanted him to meet uh, all the other needs, but Jesus was driven to go to Jerusalem. Why go to Jerusalem? Well, in Romans 3, I'll give you a moment to turn over to that. Romans 3, and we'll finish most of our time in Romans 3 and come back to Matthew 16 a little later. Romans 3, verse 23. For everyone has sinned, for we all fall short of the glorious standard. For the wages of sin, chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Think about this. Everyone has sinned. And that is what is driving Jesus to go to Jerusalem as we will all be together again on Friday evening for our Good Friday services. As we look at why Jesus had to go to the cross, it is because every one of us has sinned. All of us come ex extremely far away from what God wants. Some of us more than others, but the fact is, for we all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. In fact, look at chapter 3 of Romans and look at verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing good works. That's incredible. It's all-inclusive. It leaves no room whatsoever for exceptions. You are not the exception. The person you live with is not the exception. The person you work next to is not the exception. Every one of us cannot be made right with God by just simply getting on a, a growth plan and just learning to sin less. We call it sin management plan, which we think is a terrible idea. And Romans 3.20 says that. 
It doesn't matter how good you are, at some point you fall short of what God wants. So why is this so hard to understand and hard to embrace? And that's because the world is built on transaction. Most everything we do is transaction. We give, we get. We only receive what we earn. We receive what we hopefully, uh, what we uh, deserve. We're hired and fired and based on our abilities. We're hired and fired based on our performance. It's all about cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. I've, for those of you that know me well, uh, know I've shared before that I was fortunate to have been uh, brought up in a home where parents, my parents loved Jesus, and it was not unusual for us to talk about the presence of God and read Scripture together. So I'm grateful for that. One of the things that in my home, though, was we had a system of merits and demerits. And it, was, it worked this way. There was a board that was very central. When I would come downstairs uh, from, uh, the, uh, from being asleep the night before, come down the stairs, right there staring at me is a, our board of merits and demerits. And it had a list of all of us kids. It had everything that was to be expected of us and when it was to be done. And we were graded according to whether we were doing what we were supposed to be done. In fact, we, decisions were made through the lens of what I call the scoreboard. And so when I wanted to do something, mom would say, go look at the board. And I go look and see, and decisions were made whether I had lived up to what was expected of me or not. Now, I'm grateful for the fact that we learned responsibility, but I took it, not my parents' intent, but I took it much further than that. And I began to live in this idea of performance, that if I just perform better than I will be acceptable. Well, that is kind of the law of, 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 of trans, uh, transaction. It's the law of saying, I will do this, and if I do this, then you owe me this, or I deserve this. I've shared this in the past that when I've been on some of our Asian trips uh, to Central Asia, they have what they call guanchi. And Guanchi is simply a debt versus debtor relationship. And so when you go to visit someone, they would give you a gift and they gain Guanchi points. And so the goal is to always leverage to have more Guanchi points than the other person so that they owe you, so that you are in a position to negotiate and to navigate according to what you want. Romans 3.20 says, we don't live with a Guanchi situation at all. That's not how we live. In fact, we live so differently. In fact, look at Romans 3, verses 24 to 25. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, the kindness that we deserve really is undeserved. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. And he did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's how we get right with God. And this is the only way we can get right with God is through what Jesus has done for us. It's not us being on a sin management program or a good works program at all. In fact, it was put this way, I read this week, it's only when you accept who you are and what you're unable to do 
that you begin to understand the necessity of God's gift. That's why Jesus set out for Jerusalem. That's why he set his eyes resolutely, uh, resolutely towards, towards Jerusalem, that he was focused because he knew that the only way that we would be made right with God is through what he would do, the one who was sinless who would take our place. So look at Matthew, come back to Matthew 16, our earlier passage, verse 27. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Think about this. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. Here are some statements, some paradoxical statements that I came across this week reading from Paul Tripp. Listen to this and think about this and let this unnerve you. Let this create some dis-ease. The most horrible thing that ever happened was the most wonderful thing that ever happened. You see, the cross is not the end of the story. COVID-19 is not the end of the story because we have someone bigger than whatever we're facing. We have a God who never changes, a God who says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do not be frightened. I'm with you. Do not be discouraged. I will be with you. In fact, I will hold you with my righteous right hand. How about this statement? The hopeless moment was the moment when eternal hope was given. This hopeless moment was the moment when eternal hope was given. You see, it was necessary that he go to the cross. How about this? The very worst thing that could happen was at the very same time, the very best thing that could happen. Only God is able to do such a thing. Wrestle with this. God takes the disasters in your life and makes them tools of redemption. Now, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. I do not believe that God has caused uh, this current COVID-19 situation. That's my opinion. I do not think God caused it. However, I do believe very clearly that God can cause all things to work together for good, that God is not surprised, that God has bigger plans than, than just what we are experiencing right now. The hardest things in life God wants to use. In fact, he says, in my weakness, his strength is shown. And so what I would say is what looks like a disaster may be, in fact, grace offered because we come to a point where I've noticed that we have loss of control. In fact, we really have not had a whole lot of control, but especially now, so little control. And, and our, our tendency is to try to make things work apart from God. And what an opportunity. And that's why I believe this could be a chance for uh, a worldwide awakening. I prayed my entire life to be a part of an awakening from God. And this seems to be an opportune time for us to come together 
and to pray that God would take that which is a horrible situation and he would cause good things to come out of a horrible situation. That which the evil one means to disrupt and to destroy, God wants to use it in huge ways. Your father is committed to taking what seems so bad and turning it into something very good. That's why I referred to Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And notice it didn't just say God causes everything. It says that God causes everything to work together for good if you love him, if you seek him, if he is your God, if he's the one in whom you put your hope and trust. So Jesus, after saying to his his followers, his, those, those closest to him, those followers of Jesus. He said, it's important that I go to Jerusalem. Here's what he said, following up, why it was important for him to go. Matthew 16, verse 24. So Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. He goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So I come back to this. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Three things that Jesus, three conditions that Jesus lays out for being a follower of Jesus, and they're applicable even today. Number one, we must dethrone ourselves. We must change our point of reference. If any of you wants to be a follower, turn from your selfish ways. Change your point of reference. No longer are you the chairperson of the board of directors, but you would say, Jesus Christ sits in that position and he's on the throne and I am not on the throne. It is eyes on Jesus that you would behold him, that you would put, you would resolutely set your eyes upon Jesus. We must dethrone ourselves. Secondly, we must die to self-absorption. Take up your cross. Our tendency is to view everything through what does this mean to me and how does this impact me. But when we, when we die to our self-absorption absorption, and we put our eyes on Jesus and we, 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 we look to him, he gives us opportunity to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in every situation he has. And we talked about this last week in Acts uh, chapter 17, where God knew before the foundation earth that he would, that you and I would be exactly here at this particular time, because this is the place where those that are nearest to you have the greatest opportunity to see Jesus because of you. And that happens when we die to self-absorption and we get our eyes off ourselves. We're no longer ego myopic, but put our eyes upon him. Eyes on Jesus. Behold him. And third, we must follow the leader. And you and I are not the leader. We must, we must follow, the, follow the leader. Take it across and what does he say? Follow me. 
That's why it's so important that you spend time in God's Word every day, that you're praying and you're, you're letting God's Word be the lens through which and the filter system through which you make your moves in, in how you take care of the people around you and how you pursue Him. You must follow the leader. Eyes on Jesus. Behold Him. So what would our response be if I were to say, what, do I, what should my response be? What should your response be? It would be this, eyes on Jesus. Behold him. Eyes on Jesus. Behold him. We have uh, some discussion questions that we want to share with you that we want you to use with your small groups and with your family members that will all take the things that we have talked about today and that we would put our eyes upon Jesus and what that would look like. Let me pray for us at this time. Father, it is not uh, a simple time. It is not an easy time when we are out of control. But you're not. And so I pray that our eyes would be upon you. I pray that we would behold you, that we would look to you. Father, I pray that the very millisecond that we begin to look somewhere else, that we put our hope and trust in something or someone else other than you, would you tap on our hearts and and remind us that our eyes need to be upon you and only you. Father, I pray that when we begin to be overwhelmed and begin to fear and begin to worry, God, may we put our eyes upon you and put our hope in you that you'll be with us and you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Father, help us to dethrone ourselves and our point of reference to be upon you. Help us to die to being self-absorbed and may we think through the lens of Jesus. Father, may we follow you at all times, even in this hard season. Father, would you help us to put our eyes upon you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so grateful that uh, we're able to worship together and your giving each week uh, online and through the mail has made a difference. Uh, we keep making ends meet, and it gives us opportunity for us, and you'll hear more about this, but it gives us opportunity to serve outside uh, where New Cove, uh typically does. Uh, you're expanding us in huge ways. So as you give generously, which is no surprise to me, and I'm grateful to be a part of the New Cove family, just know that your giving matters, and it is making a difference.